On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be chatting about women in the military. The Canadian military is putting on a big push to try and get the number of women to commit way up. But we got two issues with this. First of all, the methods they're using. Well, wait till you hear what they're trying to use to get women to sign on. And second of all, does it really matter? I mean, as long as the opportunity is there, as long as women are allowed to join the military and want to, does it really matter if we have 5% or 10% or 25% or 50%? As long as they can do the job and want to do it and are enthusiastic about it, who cares? But we'll talk about that one. We're also going to be chatting about the Hamilton real estate market, which once again is going crazy. What chance do you have? If you're a person without a house who wants to buy one at this point, well, we'll be talking about that one. And Major League Baseball has come up and put out a new idea for what they want to do with their playoffs. Wait till you hear the ideas they have. Very, very unique. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. The Canadian military is looking at their numbers and saying, right now we have only roughly 15, 1-5, 15% female recruited membership in the army. We've got to do something about this. So the people who are running the army have decided we've got to get this number up to 25%. This is our goal. By 2026, we want one quarter of the military to be female which is fine, which is totally fine. We'll get to that in just a second. But some of the ideas that that public that have come out this week, the Ottawa Citizen has a piece about this. Some of the ideas that are being floated as ways to entice women to join the military really do make you wonder who are the people who are behind these kinds of things. Here, here let me give you some of the things. And you tell me, especially if you're a female, if you're a woman listening to this, you decide if this would be the kind of thing that would make you say, wow, I've got to get myself into the military. They're saying one of the ways they're going to do this is by redesigning uniforms that women wear so skirts are shorter and slimmer. That'll do it. That'll make me go through boot camp and then be sent off somewhere in the world to serve my time. If I can just wear a shorter, slimmer, more form-fitting skirt, I'm in. Hmm. Doesn't exactly seem like the kind of thing that might move the needle, but oh well. Uh, Here's one. Social media posts like, quote, my bling are my medals and, quote, my war paint is camouflage. That's going to do it because if we just have some cute social media things that those simple, really not very complicated girls in this country, I mean, all they want is a nice little social media tag and they'll sign on for the military, right? Really? This, this is our big thought of this is how we're going to get girls and women into the military by giving them ridiculous social media posts. Or here's my favorite one. They're going to highlight the social and entertaining aspects of life in the ranks. <laughs> yeah. After we've gone to war, you can then gather around for a dance in the mess hall. I mean, wh- what? The social and entertaining as I mean, look, I'm sure that there is, in fact, I know there is camaraderie among soldiers. Absolutely there is. I've got family who's in the military. I understand the camaraderie thing. I'm just not exactly sure that pointing to the social and entertaining side of this as the reason that a woman is going to join is going to 
do the job, especially when, and here's the interesting part about this. There was a, uh, uh, they were looking into, okay, why are they having trouble getting women to join? Well, women, according to what they've learned, are reluctant to join the military, according to the analysts, because they have, quote, a discomfort with a profession that involves combat, okay? They have uh, discomfort with a job that has, quote, the potential of killing people, especially innocent people, and many of the veterans are not well supported and often suffer from PTSD. So a short skirt with some hashtags and a dance that's going to overcome the fact that you may have to go into combat and maybe shoot somebody that uh, I don't mind shooting someone as long as I can send out a cute hashtag at the end in my tight short skirt. What? Come on. But beyond that, beyond the stupidity, beyond the ridiculous thought process, like surely I'm going to, I'm going to give women the benefit of the doubt here. I've got to believe there were no women involved in the ideas. There's got to be some women there in the military who could say, hey, let me tell you what we'd really like. And I don't know what that might be, but I'm just saying there's got to be some, some better thoughts. But here's my bigger question about this. And I'm going to come to you after the break. We're going to go to a break in a second. I want to come back and hear from you because my way of thinking on this one is if my military has to go into combat or has to serve some other function in Canada or abroad, I could not give one flying whip whether the person who is wearing the uniform is male or female as long as they are competent and as long as they want to be there because we don't have a draft. So if you're signing up and you are capable of doing the job, male, female, whatever minority or not minority, whatever disability you may or may not have, I don't care. If you can do the job, great. That's who I want. Why are we concerned with whether or not 25% of the soldiers that are on the field are women? Why do we care? I mean, look, I don't want them to say you are a woman, therefore you can't join the military. That's the opposite of what I'm saying. But to somehow say that our, our army is going to be better if we can just get the numbers up, how? How? If you're qualified, no matter who you are or what you are, I want you serving. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. As of a few days ago when the numbers came out from the Realtors Association of Hamilton and Burlington, uh, they've let us know that the difference in price for the average home in this area between last year in January and this year in January is up 11.9%. The average home, the average home, now keep this in mind, this is not the luxury high-end mansion. This is the average home in this area now is going for $617,496. I want to bring in Judy Marsales, who is, well, everybody knows who Julie Marsales is, one of the leading real estate brokers, real estate realtors in this city. Judy, thanks for coming in. Oh, Scott, it's my pleasure. I love being down here. Well, $617,496. If you don't already own a home, how do you possibly get into the market now? Because that, that's just such a daunting amount. It seems like it's almost past the point where most people will ever do it. Well, that, that's an average price, as you identified. And you have to remember that there's a broad spectrum of value. So your first-time home buyer is probably going to look at something that's affordable, 
and they're going to look at what they can uh, manage relative to their down payment. And there are a whole bunch of new programs around relative to mortgages and, and lending practices. Interestingly enough, I read an article today about a new trend, uh, rent to own. And uh, they're trying to attract the millennials in that kind of idea. So is it like a car lease? Well, yes, essentially. Uh, but I hadn't really grasped how it's going to work. So and would it be like a rent that you would pay for an apartment only higher and you're putting equity into it as well? Well, correct. Okay. Yes. So you'd have to agree on the price first and foremost, and yep. then you'd have to agree with the terms. And then there's the liability, of course, right? So it, it seemed a bit tricky to me, and it's uh, it was an interesting article, though, and uh, I'll have to read up more on it. The, the thing about, the, and you're absolutely right, of course, this is, as I say, the 617000 is an average, so there are going to be homes that are lower. But if I go, I went on realtor.ca the other day, and there are not many homes you're going to find in the area that are, is, is there any house right now that would be under three hundred in Hamilton? Probably not. Well, there are, but... Um, not many. But, no, not many. You are quite correct about that. And some of them do require some work, and some of them may be not in the locations that would be what the average consumer would like to look at. So one has to look at their budget. One has to look at what are the elements of their home that they are willing to be flexible about in order to have it more affordable. And it's, it's quite fascinating. Um, some of the traditions that we uh, looked at many, many years ago are changing. Um, like what? A, well, for example, uh, we're going right now through the demographic shift so what I mean by that, as we all know that the baby boomers were the most dominant population in our area, well, for the first time in history, the millennials mm -hmm. have outpopulated the baby boomers. So from that perspective, if you look at the baby boomers now wanting to downsize and the millennium, millennials wanting to purchase, what do each of these generations want? So, you know, it was fascinating to me that they have some similar requests. They both want an urban setting, for the most part, mm -hmm. for different reasons, mind you. So you have the baby boomers, uh, baby boomer pluses, who want to be in an urban setting because they want to be close to everything. Then you have the millennials who don't want to drive anymore. They want to walk or cycle, and that provides an urban setting, right? But isn't that also putting enormous pressure on basically the same places that they both are wanting? Because if you're going to downsize from your home in the suburbs or whatever, you're going to be looking for something smaller. And if you're starting out, you're looking for something smaller. You're both after the same accommodation. Well, in some instances, that's absolutely correct. But the millennials are, you know, they are looking at a home in the core area. And if the baby boomer has something that's livable, maybe, um, and they want to go into a condominium, perhaps, you know, maybe it'll work. So one has to look at what, what are the opportunities for each generation? How do we make it work? And, you know, I would say to uh, young buyers, don't panic. You know, every market has its own opportunities. The key here is to really be knowledgeable, mm. to work with people. And, of course, I've got to say work with people in my office who are very knowledgeable, very helpful, and will provide all of the information on which you can make a good decision because at the end of the day, your house is your home, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the whole 
concept of it being some magic space, that's not what we're looking for here. And maybe they're going to have to do a little work. You know, maybe they're going to have to paint it. Maybe they're going to have to mm. do a few repairs. Yeah. There's all kinds of opportunities out there. I did read something this week, and I wish I could find it because, of course, when you co- were coming in today, I couldn't find where I read this, but it was a quote that someone had said about if you're a younger person who's trying to get into the market now, they said, start driving and keep driving until you can finally find something you can afford. Well, uh, perhaps I brought that article Oh, is that you. right? Yeah. Okay. It says, drive until you qualify. There you go. <laughs> it, that, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Is, is that the new thing now, is you just have to be willing to maybe not get exactly what you had hoped for to get started, just get on the escalator somehow and then work your way in? Well, yes, that's a concept. But, you know, one of the elements that is really supportive of Hamilton right now is this driving because people are moving, in some instances, out of the GTA to the GTHA, mm-hmm. Hamilton, mm-hmm. yay! Yeah. So, you know, I think it does us well in terms of attracting young families, and it does us well in terms of wanting to encourage people to be part of our community, and it's how we interpret all of these things. Uh, Canadian Real Estate Association says not a single major Canadian real estate market is a buyer's market right now. It's it, This is a tough country right now to look at. It is very much a seller's market, but that brings us to the other side of the equation. One of the reasons uh, locally that uh, house prices are uh, going up, shall we say, is because there's very little inventory mm-hmm. right now. And if you look at the statistical side of it, Almost every area, the average number of listings is down from a year ago. So that provides an opportunity for people who may be considering selling. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't get an opportunity much like this very often, where you have the strength of the market as well as escalating prices. Having said that, it doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to get a magic wand with it, (laughs) but you still have more opportunity than we've had before, or for a number of years, anyway. You mentioned the boomers who are looking to downsize. I keep waiting, and I, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I still believe it's going to happen. We're coming to a point, and I'm sorry if you're a boomer listening to this and we're going to mention your mortality, but there's coming to a point when people are going to die. That It happens, and we have a larger, older age group. They're either going to downsize or pass away. There's got to be a point, Judy, coming on the horizon when a lot of homes are suddenly going to go on the market because they're no longer needed, quite frankly. Well, it's it's a fascinating thought, and I know Canada Mortgage and Housing has done a lot of research on these topics. Having said that, I think uh, one of the trends right now for the boomers is to enjoy where they live. Um, and some of them are not as keen to live in a condominium, perhaps. And um, there are many other considerations. You know, the neighborhoods they live in, some of them like to walk around and say hello to their family or friends. And also, some of them have pets, mm-hmm. and they want to walk their pets and so on. So I think they're, the families are trying to make decisions that are best for the individuals. Um, but when they go... Again, hopefully a long way off, but when they do, do you expect now because of the prices of homes, do you expect that the families, most of them are going to put those homes on the market? Or do you expect that a lot of those children who may have not been able to afford their own homes yet say, I'll just move in and take over that house? Well, that's an interesting concept as well, but then one would have to look at what other um, scenario presents relative to the estate. 
And, you know, families have very combative times sometimes with the state. So I'm not sure that would always work. Um, I think very often, unfortunately, in the state where somebody is probably going to sell it and then go from there. It'll be very fascinating to see how this demographic shift impacts our market. But having said that, I think the economic considerations are much stronger than the demographics right now. I mean, if you look at what's going on nationally, internationally, globally, those economic concerns uh, will probably provide uh, a more challenging platform, if you will, for what the future sales value of homes is going to be. We we mentioned that uh, that piece that you, you brought us from the National Post, which I couldn't find, that says, drive until you qualify. There's a story here on another one on the National Post about how the Toronto real estate prices are just continuing to go crazy. So people are moving from Toronto through Hamilton. Where's the direction right now that if you were looking for home, where, honestly, if you were telling a client, what direction do you drive that you can actually find homes right now that would be a good value? Well, it's interesting you say that because one of the areas where some of the younger people are driving to these days are Wellen, St. Catharines, and down towards Niagara. Now, what's fascinating about that, St. Catharines and Wellen went through a very challenging economic time a few years ago, and they had a lot of inventory of property. And so now they've got a perfect opportunity. So it, it, it is very fascinating. Do you see any reason to believe, though, that Hamilton prices are going to start going down anytime? There's no indications right now. Having said that, there was a bit of a red flag, I think, in one of the papers the other day about us being a year and a half outside of a normal downturn. Mm. But they were talking about markets. And again, I go back to the economic platform. Um, It's hard to forecast when you have so much erratic behavior in the market right now. Um, But homes, again, are not just a good investment, but they should be where you live, where you love, where you enjoy life, and buy them to live in it. If they go up in price, it's an absolute blessing. And the irony of it is a a lot of people are, you know, I'm sure a lot of people as this is happening are thinking, you know, I could sell my house and make a killing. (coughs) Unfortunately, unless you are planning to die at the same time, you've got to go live somewhere yourself and the house that you would go and buy to replace it is going to be now costing a lot more than you would have paid for it. Unless you already have some second home sitting aside that you bought a long time ago. So I don't know that anybody is, is pocketing tons and tons of money. Well, it's fascinating you say that because one of our uh, salespeople in their office today, we were I was asking for some ideas that they might want to share with the, your listeners. And she was saying, well, um, tell people not to be afraid of the price that they're paying for a home because the home they're living in is also going to be mm-hmm. probably more than they anticipate. So it's the gap between the two that one has to think about. And uh, you know what? I think... Everything is right now in a, you know, moving forward uh, price point wise, but uh, one has to take it all in balance with everything now else that's going on. And we in Hamilton, you know, we were too undervalued for too long. And now we're being attractive and people are looking at us as an opportunity. Oh, it just makes my heart warm. The wh- I won't tell you how much it was when I signed for my very first house with my mortgage with my wife, but I remember at that time, and it was minuscule by today's point, my hand was shaking. as a, I can't imagine if I had to sign some of these numbers today, but 
it'll go up, presumably. So, Judy Marsales, thanks for coming in. Really appreciate you doing this. Well, Scott, thank you ever so much for inviting me, and I look forward to having another discussion another day. For sure, absolutely. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. So, uh, CFL free agency opened today, and uh, every team in the league, hopefully, hoping that they were going to try and close the gap on Winnipeg or on Hamilton, which were the two teams in the Grey Cup last year. How did they do? Well, let's bring in Rick Zamprin of 900 CHML fame, football guy. Sir, thanks for doing this. Hey, Scott. Let us uh, dive into this quickly because I, uh, with there were a lot of players moving around in the CFL today. Ticats made a few moves. They've A few things have happened in the last few minutes, apparently. There, uh, Larry Dean, apparently, is coming back to the Ticats. Um, who left? Some other people left recently. Um, anyway, we'll get to all those. I look at this at what happened with the free agency today, Rick, and I see no reason to believe the Tie Cats are not the not still the very, very, very clear favorites in the East. The Tie Cats, as I say, made a bunch of moves. Most of what the Tie Cats did was prior to free agency, so they locked up all of their important pieces or most of their important pieces before free agency began. So they were in pretty good shape when this thing started. Rick Zamprin joins us again. Now let's try again, Rick. Um, we are off to a rousing start. We, the free agency was off without a hitch better than we are. So uh, when I looked at what happened, though, today, I don't see any reason to think the Ticats don't remain the absolute class of the East and the team that really should be going to the Grey Cup again from the East. Unquestionably, and 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 uh, for a number of factors. Number one, you know this team. Yeah, they lost a few players today: uh, Justin Tuggle, Richard Leonard, Connor McGough, <clears throat> Anthony Coombs. A number of guys have gone to other teams. But you know this is a team that was fifteen and three last season. Uh, has brought back uh, or, or re-signed Dylan Wynn, who is an integral part of uh, you know the defensive uh, front four. Uh, as you mentioned, Larry Dean off the top, <clears throat> tremendous linebacker a couple of seasons ago with the Ticats. Spent last season with Edmonton. He's back in the fold, really solidifies that front seven with Simone Lawrence and Rico Murray, who's also come back. And then we're adding some other pieces like Don Jackson, who's a, a fantastic running back. He used to play with the Green Bay Packers. Spent last last couple of seasons, really, with, with Calgary. Courtney Stephen coming back in a, uh, a role that will see him injected back into the secondary. He's a great special teams player. So, being fifteen and three, uh, with you know a a a, a lineup that was you know, one game away from winning the title, basically. I mean, if they showed up against Winnipeg in the Grey Cup, <clears throat> obviously they would have had a much uh, better result and, and maybe even a much different result. But when, as I mentioned, when you're fifteen and three, you don't often have a lot of holes, uh, and and they really didn't. I mean, they they have the best quarterback tandem not only in the East but I think in the entire. Canadian Football League. They have a wide receiving core that, yeah, Braylon Addison is gone, but they still have Brandon Banks and a couple of other pieces where it's still, I think, in the upper echelon of the CFL. They still have one of the elite defenses in the league, uh, a great special teams unit, and maybe most importantly, and this really doesn't factor into free agency, is that the coaching staff, uh, in large part, especially other coordinators, is back. And that continuity and that chemistry that they have going into this season with a lot of the, you know, um, bad, uh, that bad taste in their mouths of, of losing the last game, now that will, I think, propel them to the top of the standings again. 
Well, and here's the other thing is, I mean, look, Montreal didn't do a lot today. They lost a few pieces. I don't know that Montreal is any better. I don't know that they're worse, but I don't know that Montreal is any better than they were last year when they were 10 and 8 and in second place. Yeah. Um, let's call that a wash. Let's say they finish 10 and 8 again. Uh, Toronto might be better. I think Toronto's almost certainly going to be better with the pieces they got, but they only had four wins last year. And Ottawa's going to be better, but they only had three wins last year. And I can get, I will put my paycheck down to say that neither of those teams is going to go from either three or four wins to 15 this year. So yeah. the, <laughs> the gap just seems like it was too big for to be closed, which means the Hamilton is still at the top. Yeah, and even saying uh, even saying all that, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, history suggests that the Ticats are not going to win 15 games again in 2020. Uh, I mean, uh, it, it hasn't been done in the 150 year history of the Ticats, um, and I don't expect it to happen. You know, this season. I mean, there was a number of games where yeah, they could have lost. There was a number of games that they lost that they could have won. But the fact of the matter is, even if they're uh, a 12 win team or even an 11 win team, I think that is that is more than enough to carry them through that, that top spot on the East. I uh, don't disagree. I, I think that, uh, I mean, and, and Adrian Tracy, by the way, left, uh, he has left the Ticats now, they, it's announced, and uh, so, I mean, there, look, there have been some pieces that are gone, but I just, I, it's, it seems to me unlikely that the whole thing collapses on the Ticats, and one of the other teams in the East has such an improvement that suddenly the Ticats are looking up at them. I just, I can't see that happening, maybe in a year or two, but not this year. Maybe. And, you know, teams that are the most active on CFL free agency, whether it's day one or, or three or five or whatever the case is, uh, either those that lose a lot of players or sign a lot of players, and we saw that with Edmonton last year, uh, maybe they'll pick up a couple of wins here and there or dramatically improve, uh, you know, their, their rankings or, or vice versa. But it's, it's not the be-all and end-all. And here at Hamilton, you know, that, that core has been here for a number of years. They've continued to add to it. And, you know, this season, yeah, we mentioned a couple of guys gone, but a couple of guys have come into the fold. And I, I, I easily think they're the strongest team in the East, if not the CFL, depending on what else Winnipeg can do. Continuity counts for something. It does. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, there will be more on that one as we go along. It's a, it's a fluid thing right now. But again, there's n- I don't think there's anybody left on the market that uh, tilts the scale for any of the other teams. It's just pieces now. Uh, okay, Major League Baseball. This You wrote about this for, in your blog post today. Th- this, to me, is one of the best ideas and one of the worst ideas ever combined into one thing. Came out <laughs> this morning that Major League Baseball is considering changing rather dramatically its playoff format. Uh, right now, every, um, every league gets five playoff teams. So you get the three division winners and two wildcard teams. American League, National League, and they worked their way through the playoffs to the World Series into a champion. They're talking about expanding that so that there would now be seven teams in the playoffs. And then here's the other, the kicker to this thing, that the teams that win their divisions on some sort of reality TV show would get to pick which of the opponents, based on their record, which of the opponents they want to play in the playoffs. What are your thoughts on this whole idea? So, number one, I do like the fact that they're adding a couple more playoff teams to each league. I think going from five to seven is a good thing uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, you know, adding another couple of teams to the mix adds a little more intrigue come playoff time, uh, especially in those markets. Uh, B, you know, going down the stretch, there's, a, there's a, you know, a few more fan bases who are in the hunt. 
and are excited to see their teams possibly make the playoffs. Uh, I think when you look at the number of teams in the league, and there's 30 in Major League Baseball, uh, under its current format, there's only 33%, I think, of the teams that make the playoffs. That's by far the smallest number of the four North American professional sports leagues. Uh, the NFL is at 38%. Uh, the NHL is at 52, I think, 51, 52, and the NBA is about 53%. So I think it's high time that Major League Baseball had a couple more playoff teams. They haven't changed it since 2012. Um, <clears throat> but uh, as you mentioned, the, the reality TV portion. So of the seven teams that make the playoffs in the American League and the seven that make it in the National League, the top team earns a buy into the division series. So they go to the ALDS or the NLDS, one of these uh, you know semifinals of uh, of uh, each league's pennant. The the next highest team or the second place finisher in the American League, let's say, then gets to choose which opponent of the wild card teams it wants to play first. And you know it is <laughs> on the surface it sounds interesting. Hey, let's create some adversity, some controversy, some bulletin board material for one of these wild card teams. I don't like it. I, I, I think it enters that reality TV realm where sports is the ultimate reality TV. It doesn't need the added drama of this kind of thing. And, you know, each and every team that goes into this process, if in fact this is adopted in a couple of years' time and the, and the Players Association still has to, you know, give the green light, um, you know, the, the GM or the owner or, or, or the manager of said team can simply say, hey, we flipped a coin and it came up, you know, we're, we're going to play the Tampa Bay Rays. Know, just picking out a team out of thin air. And it really nullifies kind of the anticipation or any of that ill will that I think baseball is trying to artificially kind of inject into this whole system. So I'm not a big fan of the reality TV portion. So I, I love your uh, your answers because I feel the exact opposite about both. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I hate Great. the idea of adding more playoff teams. I loved it when baseball had the most pure playoff system where you won your league, you won your division, and you got into the playoffs, period, end of story. I understand that baseball has really a two-tiered financial strata, so it makes it very difficult for teams not named the Dodgers or the Yankees to get in. I get that. Uh, But I hate the idea of watering down the playoffs so much. So that one aside, that's my view on that one. The other one, though, See, I, I love the idea of forcing a team to decide who their opponent's going to be because for the very thing you just said, you are going to, whether you say it's a flip of a coin or not, you are going to create this situation where, man, if you pick whatever team you pick, you'd better beat that team if you were the one who picked that team, especially on national right. TV. And you go, okay, we're going to play against whomever. You'd better beat them. Or not only do you look like a moron, but you probably get fired by your owner. Right, but you're not going to pull a Matt Hasselbeck and say, you know, uh, we want the ball and we're going to score and we're going to win. Why not? Famously <laughs> did. Well, <laughs> you're right, but you what, look like an ass when it doesn't happen. Right? Yes, that's that would be true. Uh, that would be true. Yeah. I uh, look I, the the other part about this that is um, that that's so intriguing to me is if you were a particular team that has a rivalry. So let's say that the playoffs happen and this thing comes into play and the Yankees win the AL East. And the Red Sox are a wild card team, and you're the Yankees. Would you choose to play the Red Sox because you know that you can charge more for tickets, and because you know the interest is going to be higher, or do you say, "Ah, uh, no, I, I think we're going to try and avoid this one because we don't need that extra juice in the playoffs"? To like, it, the question basically becomes, 
are you going to make decisions based on baseball or based on business if you're now the person on the who's making that choice? That becomes a real difficult one. I think it depends on which team you are. So if you are the Blue Jays and you you miraculously finish first in your division this year or, or whenever this starts and you have an opportunity to go, okay, is it going to be the Angels or the Yankees? Um, depending on what the analytics department says, <laughs> yes. uh, you're probably going to pick the Yankees because you want that, that huge gate. But in the same sense, when it's playoff time, especially in Toronto, we've seen this uh, you know, not too long ago, no matter what the opponent is, it's going to be a sold-out park. So I think at the end of the day... In some places. Uh, every, in some places. Yeah, there in, are parks like Tampa. True. Tampa doesn't sell out for the playoffs in the first round. So right. you're then probably making business decisions rather than baseball decisions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say in most places you're probably selling out. If not, you're very close. So I would think that, yeah, the the, the analytics department of each team is really going to be counted upon to say, okay, who do we match up against the best? Which matchup gives us the best chance to advance? Because at the end of the day, you want to get to the next round so you can add more revenues to your coffers so you can get a better chance of winning that World Series. So I think at the end of the day, it's going to be more of a baseball decision than a a pure matchup who's going to you know uh, drive the gate more decision and i don't think this goes far enough to be honest because i would also in addition to choosing your opponent i would love for teams that have the advantage to be able to choose the uh the breakdown of home and away so you may decide if it's a best of seven i'd like you to be able to decide you know what we're going to play the first three on the road and the last four at home or the first hmm. Four at home, and the last, what you get to choose how this series is going to be played out. However, you feel that it will work best for you. I think that would be fascinating yeah. too, because you want to that, take the yeah, first three on the road and take the chance that you may be down o three, and and then it yeah. blows up in your face. But if you win two of those, now you're home with four chances to get two wins. I, I think I think they don't go far enough with this idea. Yeah, I think the, the the one other part that I like about this idea is that they're going to do away. Again, if this is all you know uh, uh, accepted, uh, they'll do away with the one game wild card playoff, and it's just going to be a best of three with all three games at the ballpark of the team that has the superior record. So I like that. It's not a one and done. It adds a little more intrigue, a lot more excitement, a lot more buzz. Uh, so I think these are all good ideas. The other thing is, I, and I, I agree with you, I hate the one game thing because that's not how baseball works. That really isn't. Uh, you've played 162 games and now you've got one. And, and baseball is designed to be a, a longer thing. I, I, I would, no, the players probably don't want this. And, and I'm sure that baseball doesn't really want their playoffs going into December. Um, I, I'd go best of seven with all of it because baseball is, again, you're, it, even, even a, a best of three you may not get your best players into that game. They could be cold for a couple of games and, and you could be by far. How many times should the Atlanta Braves have probably won a World Series back in the day, but they, yeah. you know, it, it didn't work for them. And, and whether you like the Braves or not, I mean, the fact is you had a team that was loaded with starting pitching. They never really got to stretch their legs a lot of the time because you had these best two out of three series and that took away their advantage. Yeah, and especially with teams that build superior pitching staffs, you're only going to get you know a certain amount of guys into a game depending on how the game goes. So best of seven, really, you know, you get to see all the great players uh, depending on you know how the series goes. Uh, you know, injected into the series, and it was you know a long, long time ago when Major League Baseball settled their World Series in a best of nine. Uh, so you can imagine that uh, again. It was a 154 game season. There were only two opponents in the playoffs. But still, a best of nine would be very exciting. 
I would even go one more thing. You get to choose the starting pitchers for each of the games from the other team. <laughs> no, wow. I wouldn't do that. that. That would be a little unfair, but it's an interesting idea. Uh, by the way, some of the players already having something to say about it, saying uh, this is insane and we never want to see this happen, which only leads me to believe that it will. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I, wouldn't doubt, I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> we shall see. Uh, Rick Zamperin, always appreciate you taking a few minutes. Thanks for doing this tonight. You got it. Thanks, Scott. I'd uh, love to hear what you think about this baseball playoff idea. I See, I think the extra teams, no, because you've had 162 games to get into the playoffs. We need to see the best teams, not watered-down teams now. But as for the other thing, look, I love the idea. You now have a a... a, a TV show where you've got the managers or the general managers coming out saying, yeah, our pick is Team X. That is so motivating to the underdogs. That would be so motivating to say that the Yankees have picked Tampa to play against. You know that Tampa now is insulted and wants to come back and win. It would bring so much more juice to the playoffs, I believe. Anyway, Radley at 900CHML.com. Like that? Don't like that. Love to hear from you. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900CHML. Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.